0: Hunting a Killer is a fictional story recorded in chronological order. If you have not listened to the previous episodes, please go back and start from the beginning. We'll be here waiting for you. I'm not used to hearing thunder. Living in Seattle, you get used to the rain, sure. But there were not many thunderstorms. On the East Coast, these storms can be intense. So yeah, I'm sitting here on my patio, soaking it in. The air has that crisp, refreshing scent. I'm trying to get some energy to feel reinvigorated. To be honest with you, I have not slept great lately. The case keeps me awake at night. I find myself feeling stuck, stagnant, and ineffective. It's irritating, to say the least. But patience is the key component to cold cases. Stay the course, they say. My boss, Jess, remains optimistic a break in the case will be coming soon. However, I'm not so sure. I do admire her resilience. I guess it's time to let you know we received a third package from Listening Friends of America and John William James. And to say things are getting confusing would be an understatement. But I'll let you be the judge of that. Circular Logic Studios presents A Phil Interrupted Production lucky today. The office isn't too far away from my parking spot. It's so damn hard to find parking in this city. And this rain, is isn't helping matters either. The city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. It's a tough, no-nonsense kind of town. I respect that. The cheesesteaks aren't bad either. But the parking... It's a nightmare. Philadelphia FBI made it. Hey, good morning, Detective Allen. How are you today? Doing good. Still raining out there. Still raining coming down, huh? Like cats and dogs. It sure is. All right, well, I just need your identification. Okay. Granted. Great. Thank you, sir. Looks like you're all good to go. All right. Thank you.
1: Good morning, detective.
0: Good morning. How are you? I'm doing
1: peachy. How are you feeling?
0: I'm, uh, I'm a little wet at the moment.
1: Yeah. It's been raining a lot lately. Kind of gloomy out there. You know what would make me feel better?
0: How many guesses do I get?
1: Funny. I would be doing better if we got a break in the Listening Friends of America case.
0: That's where I'm heading right now, to review the third package. Again.
1: Great. Well, I'll leave you to it. I'll check back in with you later.
0: You know where to find me. Yes, I do. And you're looking good today. God. Okay. Package number three. Where do I begin? I suppose I'll begin as we have before with a letter from the man in charge of listening friends of America, Mr. George Madsen. Compared to his previous two welcoming letters, this one has a significantly different tone. It's hard to put into words what exactly the change is. Perhaps you will be able to tell on your own. Dear listening friend, thank you for your continued work. You have done so much and you have helped your friend succeed in expressing his story and fulfilling his wish for a listening friend. I am taking this opportunity to inform you that our organization will be undergoing a process of restructuring to better serve all our friends inside our facility. This may seem unexpected, but in fact this transition has been in the works for a couple months now. You will hear from us again in the near future with an update on our reorganization and our mission statements. On a personal level, I can tell you that my wife and I are looking to the future with smiles on our faces. Because we have to work very hard in the short term, we will have to scale back on some services for the time being. Indeed, I must write even this letter with a shortened deadline. Your account will not be affected. To stay informed on how the transition is moving along, as well as other going-ons within the organization, please take the time to subscribe to our newsletter. You can find the link on our website. I personally urge you to do so, and to read carefully. Some information will only be communicated in this way. To see an example of our newsletter, check out our archived winter issue. I look forward to new and exciting ways you may be able to help us grow. Listen well, Your friend believes in you. Sincerely, George Madsen, Transition Facilitator, Listening Friends of America, www.listeningfriendsofamerica.org Okay, let's start from the beginning. The organization is undergoing a process of restructuring to better serve all our friends inside our facility? What does he mean by this? Restructuring Maybe this has something to do with his job title You may or may not have noticed This is the first letter we have received from Madsen Which he does not list himself As Vice President in his signature In his past letters he was Vice President As well as two other positions But once again We see that Madsen has yet another responsibility At Listening Friends of America his job description is now Transition Facilitator. Is he losing grip on control within the company? He sure was quick to end the letter and explain that he didn't have much time. He expressed an interest that we subscribe to the Listening Friends of America newsletter. Oh, we are one step ahead of you, Madsen. We already did that weeks ago, bud. We previously talked about a game by a Mr. Puzzles. Featured in a winter edition. Special Agent Jess and I believe this newsletter is exactly what he wanted us to see. But more on that later. The package contained various items which were perplexing and to some degree aggravating. We continue to hit snags lately and we simply aren't connecting the dots. I promise we will get to the other items soon. But now let's dissect our latest correspondence from John William James. My dearest friend, Oh, that I cannot quite express to you the particular elevation of mood these letters bring. Yes, perhaps I do belabor the point, mentioning it with every parcel. You must understand, however, the conditions under which I have been living these past decades. Who, I ask, decided to place a budgetary limit on the food they serve us here? Only those vastly wanting in moral character, I assure you. Only the foul. What price is too great for substance? Of this, I can assure you, there is one individual who knows that price. Over the last few years, I have learned a few things. Over the last few months, I have learned more. Of what, you ask? Allow me to tell you. On my own schedule, my lovely friend. On my time. When that time comes, you will fully appreciate our friendship. Offhand, could you tell how close we have become? Of course you could. Only a fool would suspect any differently, otherwise. I had a great dream of an obelisk. I was alone, yet from the obelisk I felt a presence. Over the land it towered, looming and omnious, the obelisk was an ill omen All was faded Fate was dark And the darkness was in flux Mooted in pessimism, perhaps Mr. Madsen One of the young bureaucrats here Overheard me engaged in conversation With my thoughts about my dream I believe he was quite apathetic That is fine, of course Everyone is free to do as they will Well, almost everyone Which reminds me I wish to thank you Your friendship has invigorated me. The powers that be have noticed my improvement, and gave me my pen to do with as I pleased. And I am pleased. Though it is a funny thing, I have grown so accustomed to the ticking of this machine, that I believe every keystroke, the weight of it against my fingers, the resistance to the act, only to be overcome and imprinted with ink. These are the things for which I now live." Can you believe that Madsen wanted to take this away? To replace it with a computer? Those infernal devices operate on a binary system. A code replicated in one of two states. Off or on. How can I trust such a thing as does not understand the complex spectrum of life? But in a one or a zero? Writing with a computer is a nefarious business in a contemptible box. Scrungey business that always John William James. P.S. Things are going so well. I might gain a position on staff. I wonder what my identification card would say. Strange. Very strange. A position on staff? What? From patient to staff member? Something seems fishy, and I'm not talking about the tuna sandwich I had for lunch. The first four paragraphs of this correspondence appear choppy and rather disturbing. This line particularly caught my eye. On my own schedule, my lovely friend. On my time, when that time comes, you will fully appreciate our friendship. On my schedule, on my time... It's almost as if he has a grand master plan in place. He mentions an obelisk. An obelisk is a stone pillar, typically having a square or rectangular cross-section and a pyramidal top, set as a monument or landmark. This dates back to the ancient Egyptians and continues through the ages. You may not realize you've seen one many times. The Washington Monument stands as the tallest and most famous obelisk ever built. However, John William James clearly depicts his dream of an obelisk as a dark, ill omen faded presence. Is there something looming in John William James that he can't escape? Something that eats at him, which hides deep within? Then the correspondence shifts to George Madsen himself. John describes Madsen as being apathetic towards him. Did these two not get along? Again, the focus shifts quickly, and John lets me know that the staff have seen improvements in him, and he got his pen back. He mentions losing pen privileges in the first letter. He is quite clearly pleased to be gaining access to a pen. Speaking of a pen, we received one in our package. Perhaps this is the pen that John William James speaks of. Special Agent Jess will shed more light on this development later. For the moment, we continue on with this correspondence. In the last paragraph, John talks of his newfound joy and pleasure in using the typewriter. Matson apparently wanted to take it away and give him a computer, but John refused the very idea of such a thing. He expresses his distaste for what he put it, infernal devices that operate on a binary system. How can I trust such a thing that does not understand the complex spectrum of life, but in a one or a zero? And that was more or less the correspondence. John William James sure is one unusual and curious man. As Special Agent Jess and I discussed the correspondence, and after reviewing it many times, we ascertained that many of the O's and L's in the letter looked uncommon and slightly out of place. A closer look revealed something we hadn't noticed right away. At the end of John William James' correspondence, he mentioned his distaste for computers and the simplistic binary system they use. However, it appeared that he had replaced many of his O's and L's with zeros and ones. It looked like we were cracking a code. Here's what we did. The first four paragraphs had many zeros and ones, and we systematically went through and underlined each one in order. We wrote out the code of numbers in front of us. 0100111 and so on. What did they mean? Jess suggested finding a binary code converter on the internet. Soon we were punching in the digits, and a message was exposed. The hidden message read, I. Got. M. Is this a veiled reference to Madsen? Did John William James do something sinister to George Madsen? Perhaps he meant that he has George wrapped around his finger. It's hard to know the context of the vague message, and if it even is in reference to Madsen at all. Jess and I have a hunch it's probably not an innocent communication. Aside from the breakthrough concerning the hidden binary message, I got M, we didn't find anything more from the correspondence. I will continue to review this information, looking for more clues. As I said before, the case is aggravating and leaving me with sleepless nights. What makes me most discouraged is that none of this new evidence appears to have any connection to Lloyd McGowan, or Lillian Grayson. I thought we were making some serious progress, only to come to a screeching halt.
1: This third package was quite a wall. We don't know what a lot of it means just yet, but perhaps in the near future we will receive more that will tie things together. After hacking into the Listening Friends of America site again, I pulled the inventory sheet for this package. What's striking to me is that it is the same inspector, Jacob Nielsen, however one huge, noticeably difference between this inventory sheet and the previous one completed by him is the handwriting. The handwriting is significantly different. This one is cursive and very hard to read. Not at all like the last one. How can someone's handwriting change that dramatically? Changing their entire writing style completely. That's talent. Or perhaps he didn't write this at all. I'm also willing to bet that Detective Allen forgot to mention the envelope that John William James' letter came in. This is a big one. The envelope was never opened, read, or inspected. It was sealed. So how could Jacob Nilsen mention anything in his inventory sheet in regard to this letter when he never even read it? Inspector is Jacob Nilsen. Patient name, John William James. Patient number 1618. Item 1. Description. Mr. Madsen's Corporate letter. Comments. It would appear that Mr. Matson had fallen in statute. Why should his title change? Item 2. Photograph. Comments. What a lovely shade of red. But who would have been able to take this photo? No one is allowed a camera. Item 3. Alphabet card. Comments. There is no sentence here. Why punctuate? Does X... Mark the spot, the end, or the beginning. What a jumble. Item 4. Pen. Comments. It would appear that Mr. James finally got his pen, only to give it away again. Item 5. Bracelet. Comments. I suppose no one will be needing this anymore. Item 6. Mr. James's letter comments. An interesting letter, to be certain. He refers to some sort of obelisk, which isn't clear. His zeros and ones seem a bit odd in this letter. Perhaps something is wrong with the typewriter. Well, the photograph, it is a lovely beat-up old barn. But where is this? And why are we being sent a photo of a barn? And like the inventory sheet said, who would have taken this photograph? The alphabet card is intriguing indeed. It shows each letter from beginning to end. Why is there a period after the letter X, though? What spot does X mark? What does he mean by it? Is it the end or is it the beginning? God, I wish I knew what this meant. The pen appeared to be a fairly standard pen you'd expect to find anywhere. Except this one was covered in a red-colored stain in one area. The pen was sent to the forensics lab. However, we suspect the red residue to be blood. Not sure whose blood it is, though. Did John William James stab someone after finally earning his pen? Is Jacob involved? Is someone dead that we don't know about? The bracelet. The bracelet, perhaps, is my most favorite piece of evidence. I don't know why, but I feel like it speaks volumes. It has James J.W. on it, along with 29-June-1956. Is that a birth date? Or is that the date of his admission? If it is his birth date, that makes him almost 61 years old. It also has his patient number, 0000-1618. What does it mean in Jacob's inventory report when he says, I suppose no one will be needing this anymore? Did John William James escape? Is he on the loose? Even if he did gain a position on the staff, I highly doubt they would remove his bracelet, make him a paid employee, and allow him to be free in the world. That doesn't sound right in the slightest. Granted, we don't even know why he was admitted, but I can't imagine all of a sudden life would be grand, gaining full-time paid employment, and living out in the free world. John William James's letter. Well, we've already gone over that, and we figured out that the zeros and the ones, no broken typewriter here, just a purposely done binary coded letter spelling out I got M. I decided to take some time and go through the entire Facebook page of the Listening Friends of America. Yes, I read every post, every article, every employee spotlight. Very time consuming. But it was well worth it, and since a lot of my time is spent at home, alone, unfortunately, I have nothing else better to do. I found a spotlight on Lloyd McGowan. It reads, We'd like to spotlight one of our patients at Darlington. Lloyd M. has no listening friend, but we believe everyone deserves a chance to have their story told. Lloyd was born in 1941 in New York. He was committed to the O'Brien Asylum in 1967, where he unfortunately endured harsh treatment under the supervision of a staff who lacked the knowledge we have today to understand patients like him. He lived out 30 years at the asylum heavily medicated, and mostly sedentary. In October 1997, Lloyd transferred to Darlington. Since then, we have reduced his medication and he has become a very productive member of our community. He has a keen interest in aeronautic paraphernalia, gardening, and the outdoors. Lloyd's contribution to our community cannot be overstated. He is the first to volunteer to help with special projects, and he consistently helps our groundskeeper with the upkeep of our beautiful landscapes and trails. Since reducing his medication, we've also discovered Lloyd's hidden talent for dry humor. He knows how to work a crowd. Thank you, Lloyd, for everything that you do with a smile. Happy 15-year anniversary. Well, Lloyd seems like a great guy to me. Aeronautic paraphernalia? Perhaps like constellation maps? Or how about the pilot that was born this year, 25 years later, he never made it to Brazil. Is Lloyd Mr. Puzzles dry humor? Hmm. John William James has a sense of dry humor as well. Are Lloyd and James the same person? Could they be? There's striking similarities between the two. I guess only time will tell. I think I'll check in on Detective Allen.
0: What's up, boss?
1: Figured I'd better check in, see if you have any breakthroughs.
0: Nope. Still striking out at the moment.
1: Don't take it too hard. You're a good detective. Besides, it shouldn't be too long before we get another package. John William James is way too into this to stop now.
0: He seems to take great pleasure in this. Well, I guess you're right. As usual. I know. Look, I don't know what you're doing tomorrow, but I was kicking around the idea of us meeting up at Two Pete's Diner to, you know, talk about the case.
1: I love diners.
0: Oh, uh, great. Great. Uh, I'll be in touch tomorrow morning, and we'll uh, set up a time.
1: Okay, sounds good. And detective? Yeah? Try to get some sleep tonight.
0: You got it, boss.
1: Good night. See you tomorrow.
0: Absolutely. Bye.
1: While I'm disappointed we haven't gotten farther in the case, and our leads appear to be dead ends right now, I do feel the case is inching forward, and the evidence is slowly building. The lack of movement concerning Lillian Grayson and Lloyd McGowan is frustrating. The pen that may have blood on it could be critical, and the photograph and alphabet postcard are dumbfounding. The binary code message hidden in John's letter says, I got M. Does he mean Madsen? Has something happened to Madsen? Has Madsen been demoted? Killed? I know it all means something. Time will reveal the answers. I'm confident in that. During my stint at the Bureau, it's rare we don't get to the bottom of things eventually. If we can keep listening friends of America on our side and John William James continues talking, which he obviously loves to do, then it's just a matter of time before we get the break we need. Detective Allen remains committed to the case, and that would make any boss proud. Yet, I do worry about him. He gives me the impression of taking the case very personally. Maybe there is something I can do to help him relax. Needless to say, I'll leave him on the case and keep a close eye on developments. When other agencies or cops hand over a case to the FBI, it's our job, our mission, to continue the fight, to continue hunting a killer.
0: This has been a Circular Logic Studios presentation. Hunting a Killer is produced, written, and performed by Phil and Jessica Allen. Editing by Phil Allen. Based on Hunt a Killer.